listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. Hope everybody is well. Celebrated a wonderful, wonderful week last week. Justin shared those uh, awesome numbers with you, and you say, oh, it's not about the numbers, but it is, because every number is a person represents one person who is here, and we are so excited of what God did last week. My name's Joey Fennell. I serve as executive pastor here at Connection Church, and I'm delighted to be with you this morning. As we uh, celebrate that Easter, I always think of the Sunday after Easter. As long as I've been in ministry, I've always referred to it as letdown Sunday. We have all this buildup for Easter and go through all that and all the creasters come. That's the Christmas and the Easter people. Only time you see them, they, they come to see us and uh, it's nice to see them again. And uh, we greet them and, and have all this hoopla and then this Sunday and they ask me to preach. I don't try to take it personally, but you know, maybe it's just because it's got to be so much better, right? I don't think that was it either. It was because we had to re- introduce Revelation. That's why he asked me to do it because nobody else wanted to, and I drew that short straw. Now I'm just teasing with you. It's going to be a great day. We're excited about it, and um, this is going to be a, a great uh, word to introduce this uh, for us today. And the cool thing about this not being let down Sunday, what I discovered is the same Christ, the same Christ that rose from the dead that we celebrated last week is the same Christ we talk about today. The same Christ that we talk about each and every week at at Connection Church. And the cool thing about it is we don't take it from anywhere else. We take it straight from the Word of God as it is written, as it, it, it teaches us, and we teach it here the same way. So we talk about the same Christ that burst out of a grave last week, and we get to talk about him today and every week and every Sunday that you're here with us or every time we break open the Word here in this worship center and the kids' area throughout this church, it's going to be the same gospel message not watered down, but exactly how it is, is, it is um, worded in Scripture, and we're going to preach it that way. So look with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Some of your pages may be stuck together back there, you know, because we get to Revelation and read Jude, enjoy that little, and then we're like, go back, start over. I don't want to get into that one. That's when some of them crazy folks look at that, that book, you know, that's some crazy stuff back there. We're going to look at it together. Revelation chapter 1. We're going to cover the first three verses today because it's really the introduction of John's writing and introducing us to that book. And then we're going to start this series off, and um, it's going to be great. Great couple of weeks of looking at this word. So look with me in Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for today. We are thankful, God, that we celebrated your son, Jesus Christ, who burst out of a tomb who lives and breathes, who sits at your right hand. And we're thankful for you sending your Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us. God, we ask today as we break open this word 
that you speak to us. Plunder around in our hearts, God. Help us to see what you want us to see, what this revelation is all about. God, we thank you and we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I know we live in the South and a lot of people like to hunt. I love to hunt. I really enjoy it. Love to hunt deer, hunt some other things. But deer hunting is really my thing because I don't have to move a lot. You know, I can just sit there and, and, and kind of enjoy the waking up of the day or the going to sleep of the evening. I just enjoy it. But I have to be kind of full disclosure here to, to admit something to you that I'm a little skittish in the dark when I'm by myself. All right, just a little skittish. I don't really like it. I watch way too much Criminal Minds and all those people they don't catch, I know are out there where I hunt, hiding behind trees and all these crazy people out there. So one morning, I remember this morning very vividly, I'm, I'm going to my stand and I part ways with the, the folks that I'm with and I'm walking through the woods and I hear something behind me. I got the brightest light out there now. I'm, I'm using my light. I don't care what the deer think. I'm using my light because I, I want to see where my feet are going. And I got to see where that serial killer is. It's around the other tree. So I'm walking along and I hear this thing behind me. And you know, what do you do when you hear something behind you? You speed up, right? You don't look behind you. You speed up. So I speed up. And I, every time I speed up, it gets a little bit louder, a little bit louder. And it's still right behind me and right behind me. Well, I finally realized and remembered that I used something called a drag rag. Any of y'all know what that is? A drag rag is something that you spray dough scent on, and we won't get into all the details of that, but you spray that on there, you tie it to you, and it drags behind you. You going with me now? I was being chased by my own drag rag, basically. But I did outrun it, I might add. I did make it to the tree before it did. And uh, I realized what it was by the time I got there. But, you know, the faster you go when you're trying to outrun something, the, the more scary it gets, right? Because you're loud and drag rags loud. doing like, just banging. And it was, it was bad. And I think that sometimes when we think of the book of Revelation, we almost think of it in the same way. It's something we're sort of uncertain about something that we're a little bit scared of because we've, we've heard all these different things and we, we hear these people who go on TV and they talk about the world's gonna end October 12th, 2012 and miss that one by a little bit, but that didn't happen and, and all these other people come up with these numbers and add things up and look at all these things. It's very interesting, but it sometimes gets us a little sidetracked and it even gets misused sometimes. And, and there's a lot of truth to it, but, but we, we get confused by this book. And we hope that in this series, we're going to be able to bring some light to what the revelation actually is and, and the, the point of it. The theme of the book of Revelation is not the seven churches. It's not the seven bowls of the seven trumpets, the beast, the antichrist, or symbolism. The theme is Jesus Christ victorious. That's basically what it's about. Jesus Christ victorious. Many people would rather ignore the book or would misuse it, like I said. So we're going to begin right here with chapter 1, and I'm going to talk about the title. And this is going to be sort of a teaching message, and then we're going to apply something very, very concrete at the end of this. Um, and I think that you'll get, some, I hope that you'll get something out of it as we walk through this. So the title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's not the revelation of John. It's not revelations or the internets or Walmarts. It's one revelation. It's not connections. It's connection. There's not an S on the building out there. Please make note of that when you drive away. There's one connection, all right? One revelation. So we want to get that corrected. The book of Revelation is just like it sounds. It's a revelation of Jesus. From Jesus is Jesus revealing himself. This is how we have to read it. It's not about dragons and horses and lampstands. It's about Jesus and who he is and what he's coming back to do. It's a huge deal for us to read the Bible this way. Not only the book of Revelation, but the entire Bible. The best way to think about the Bible is a progressive revelation of who God is. The song that that our worship team just sang, Christ be all around me. Christ is all around us and Christ is all throughout the text. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, Christ is being pointed to. Think about it like this. The book of Genesis, we see the revelation of God's plan, how we screw it up and then the hope for us. In the book of Exodus, we see the revelation of the Passover. In Leviticus, the holiness of God is revealed through the law, through the temple, and through sacrifices. In Joshua, we see God revealed as a mighty warrior who fights to bring us to a place of great rest and provision. In 1 and 2 Samuel, we see the kingship and wisdom of God revealed. However, the Old Testament gives us this sort of incomplete revelation of God. If we just had the Old Testament, that's how it ends, just pointing to something that never is fulfilled. Throughout the scripture, it's pointing to Jesus Christ constantly, all the time prophesying. And it's prophesying about this king, this king that's gonna come and and save us from our sins, gonna do away with these things. And, And the people of that day were looking forward to this king who was going to come and he was going to reign and all these bad things were going to be taken away and life was going to be wonderful because this king was going to be victorious but instead Jesus comes as a regular dude in humility to serve that was extremely confusing but it sets the stage for what is yet to come It sets the stage for this revelation that's going to happen, this second coming where revelation is getting ready to show us the the exalted Christ coming back for his people, throat-punching Satan and reestablishing his perfect kingdom. That's cool stuff. When we read the Bible as revelation of Jesus, it changes us. It changes things and enables us to know him. That's why we read scripture. And I don't know why we read it with other intentions sometimes. I don't know why we we do things other than that. Our, Our joy is found in knowing God and walking with him. Reading the Bible to know God is a huge part of this. So let's look closely at the book for today. Now, one of the questions, and got a lot of comments over the past week knowing that we were gonna start this Revelation series. You know, those things like, almost be one of them churches that talk about the end times. You know, the end of the world's coming. Y'all gonna have a chart up there to tell us when it's gonna end? No, not gonna try that. But if you keep talking to me, yours is going to end. Is what I was thinking, but I 
prayerfully reconsidered before it came out. And, but other, other comments about the end of the world and can't believe y'all are doing that. Y'all trying to shrink the size of your church by doing revelation. I was like, what does that even mean? You know, no, we have a parking lot that we try to shrink the size of our church with. That's what we do, you know. Um, Got to throw a parking lot joke in there somewhere because it's just, it's just bad. Um, so, but one of the words that comes up with revelation is the word apocalypse. Okay, that's the scary one that we think about. What is an apocalypse? An apocalyptic literature is very interesting, and a lot of people place Revelation as an apocalyptic type of writing. So I'm going to tell you some similarities to apocalyptic literature that, that Revelation is, and then also some differences. And if you want to write these down, then you're welcome to. But I want to give you um, four characteristics that John used in, in the title Apocalypse and, um, and that he gave to his work. The first one, one of these similarities is that pessimistic, it was pessimistic about contemporary culture. Very common apocalyptic um, literature trait is pessimistic about contemporary culture. And John hammered that out pretty good. He, he was pretty pessimistic about the culture of that day. The second thing is he contrasts the present evil with an age to come. So he talks about the, the present day that he was living in, how evil it was, but then an age that was yet to come. The third one is it's full of mystery and secrecy. Mystery and secrecy. It's throughout the book of Revelation. You can see it just by reading into the first couple of chapters. You're right in the midst of that. The fourth one, he used symbols of angels, demonic beings, heavenly bodies, animal imagery, numerology, and great woes. That animal imagery always sticks out because it's like John took this animal and this animal and he said, let's put them together. That makes a cool animal. Just, just crazy imagery and, and fascinating literature that he put into this book. So those are the similarities to apocalyptic literature. The differences that John uses, there are three of those. And the first one is John's pessimism, that same pessimistic attitude he uses about man's history is overshadowed by his optimistic, confident expectation of what was yet to come. So even in his pessimism, he was more optimistic about the end of it because Jesus wins. And he knew that. And that's what he's writing about is Jesus victorious, Christ victorious at the end of this. The second one is God is not removed and disinterested. In apocalyptic literature, God is more of a, of a some, some being that stands apart and sort of robotically moves things around or even is totally disinterested in it altogether. Let the apocalypse happen, God will sort it out at the end. But God's sovereignty is very clear in this book. God is always a part of what's going on throughout it. His, his sovereignty is never in question. And the third difference is John strives for understanding here. He strives for understanding. He seeks to reveal, not to conceal. He's not trying to cover anything up. His message is not to be sealed up, but it's to be read publicly. He wants people to hear what he is saying. So there are three other verses in the New Testament that point to the revelation. I want to share those with you. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. Then Galatians chapter 1 verse 12, 
For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of the revelation in the knowledge of him. So what the rest of the Bible alludes to and points to, revelation makes clear. Makes very clear what everything else is pointing to. So we have mentioned that John is most likely the author of this book. There's been all kinds of, of debates over this for years because with John's uh, referring to John, the John that wrote the fourth gospel and also the three epistles, first, second, and third John, there's a little bit different Greek that's used in these, in these books compared to Revelation. So there's been some discrepancy there, but the similarities are, are way too noticeable for it not to be John. He refers to Jesus in, in three different ways that he also refers to him in his writings in the book of John. And that's the word, the lamb, and the witness. The word, the lamb, and the witness. He uses those in a couple of different ways in the book of Revelation. So we believe that this is the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, and he's often referred to as the one Jesus loved. The Apostle John being the last of the disciples would mean Revelation was written around the last decade between 94 and 96 AD. Just so you know that and you can rest well eating your lunch, you want to know when this book was written. Okay. So a little bit of background as to where John was. John had uh, been captured and uh, had been put into, onto the um, island of Patmos and he believed a great persecution was about to begin. The emperor of that day um, was Domitian, and what he had set up was basically you had to worship him. He was the Caesar of that day. And if you did not worship him, then you would be put to death or imprisoned. But if you did worship him, for Christians, it was basically um, abandoning their faith. And this is what John was referring to and was trying to to help these people. And then he begins to write letters to seven different churches as to what is going on. Remember, John had once been the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And this island of Patmos was located uh, just southeast of Ephesus. So the Roman emperor Domitian, he had banished him for preaching the gospel. And Domitian was an interesting character because he would sign his letters the Lord God Domitian. He thought a lot of himself, right? The Lord God Domitian. He would refer to himself that way. And if somebody does that long enough, he gets a pretty good following. And a side note, if you're threatening to kill somebody, that kind of enhances the church church size. If you feel like you're going to get killed, well, I might go ahead and bow down to this fella because I kind of like breathing, you know. So he had this Um, iron fist that he ruled with, threatened to kill him if they didn't worship him. Uh, Very narcissistic, crazy individual. So he would do his thing. And that's what was going on in this day. And we think, well, man, that that would be crazy if something like that happened today. But doesn't it still? I mean, there are people all over the world who follow crazy people. Even in the United States, we have cults, we have gangs, we have all these types of things that with leaders who claim themselves as deity and and even loosely use the word of God to do it with. So it's no different than our day-to-day. It's very, very appropriate for us today. 
So some themes I want to share with you. The book of Revelation is, is primarily a book of prophecy. It seems to begin as, a, as an epistle or a letter. It addresses seven different churches with seven different problems and challenges. And then foretells things that are to come. But I want to mention, again, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it depicts him in several different ways. And I want to share these with you of the different ways it talks about Jesus The risen, glorified Son of God ministering to the churches. The faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead. The ruler over the kings of the world. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. The one who is holy and true. The beginning of all creation the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb on the throne, the Messiah who will reign forever, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and finally the bright and morning star. He refers to him in in all of these different ways. Also in Revelation, the church is warned of sin and exhorted to holiness. We see vivid pictures of worship, the ministry of angels, eschatology, the doctrine of the last days, the final political setup of the world, the career and ultimate defeat of the Antichrist, Christ's thousand-year earthly reign, and the final state of the wicked and the righteous. All of those are in there. And we're going to hit, over the, hit on those in the next couple of weeks. But I want us to look specifically at these three verses. I want to talk about exactly what these are telling us in this letter as it introduces. And I think the command it gives us as we prepare going into this series So look with me again at Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's an uncovering. It's an unveiling. And when this word is used in reference of a person, it means the person becomes clearly visible. And I think this is such a cool picture that John uses this Greek word to unveil, to clearly show us Jesus Christ. It's not just telling a story, but it's peeling back the layers for us to clearly see who Jesus Christ is. Which gave him to show to his bondservants the things that should soon take place. Now that should soon take place, John is referring in the way he is writing this, it is for his generation. He's writing this to be read to his generation right then and right now because it was soon to take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. So God gave the revelation to Jesus. He, in turn, gives it to an angel. The angel gives it to John, and then John gives it to the churches. But at the same time, as Jesus is, as God is revealing this to Jesus, Jesus to the angel, angel to John, John to the churches, it's still about Jesus. It's still all about Jesus. Jesus. Verse 2, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So John is bearing witness to all the visions he saw, all this crazy stuff that we read about in Revelation. John is seeing this. He's seeing it clearly and visibly in his own mind, and he's writing it down for us. Blessed is he who reads, and this is a special blessing on the public reader. John says, blessed is he because he is actually calling on God to bless the one who's holding this parchment and reads this to the people. 
And those who hear, it often applies also to the, one who, uh, the ones who obey. And he's asking for them to obey what they hear as it's read to them. The words of the prophecy and heed the things that are written in it. So John leaves no uncertainty here when he says to keep or heed is to obey. We must obey. And then finally he throws in that for the time is near. And that's when we go kind of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs sometimes. And people are like, we got it. Whoa, the time is near. He's coming back. We got to prepare. We got to prepare. We got to prepare. All of that is true. But sometimes we kind of lose sight of what that actually means. Because it's sort of a twofold um, description. The time is near means foretelling that Jesus Christ is coming back to reestablish his reign on earth. The other part of that, the time is near because we don't live very long. Our death is coming. So instead of us sitting around and enjoying our lives so much, I think John is commanding us to get up out of our seats, go out into the world, and share what you know. Live a life of Christ so people see it because you're not going to be here very long. How many times do we hear it during a week or a month that so-and-so is, I can't believe he's, he's got cancer, he's 35 years old, or so-and-so was in an accident, was killed two weeks ago, and he's 32 years old. And we act surprised that life is so short every time we hear the same stories. It's short. It's like a vapor. It says that in here. And I think John is urging us, there's a sense of urgency to get up and share what we know. Because people need to know what we know. We don't own it. We should share it and become vessels that want to share that word with other people. So it's not just about Jesus coming back. It's also about the short life that we live on earth. So are there three main things that I want you to pick up on in these verses? And it's in the last verse there in verse 3. Three main things. The first one is read it. Read the scripture. We read things all the time, don't we? We walk around and we're like, there's a street sign. We're reading the street signs. We're reading menus. If I read a menu tomorrow, I'm not going to remember what was on the menu because I'm probably reading another menu, right? We don't remember things that we just read automatically. Or we get in our Bible in the mornings or evenings. We're doing our quiet time, our devotion. We start to read to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? One who holds seven. So I've already read that. Skip down to five. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen. Repent, do the deeds. Yeah, I've read that. I read that a couple days ago. He who has an ear, let him hear. I've got ten verses under my belt already. And the angel of the church in Pergamum. And we kind of skim because we've read it before. So we're not really understanding or taking it to heart. The second thing that John commands us to do is hear it. Hear the scripture. So we read it and then we hear it. And how good are we at listening anyway? Right? Wives? You know, if I have an opportunity to preach, I'm going to talk about marriage, right? As a therapist, I'm going to bring it up. Wives, how well do your husbands listen to you? Stop elbowing and pointing. Men? How well do your wives listen to, listen to you? Somebody just said, huh? <laughs> it's not a gender thing. As long as I've been doing marital therapy, we all are terrible at it. Okay? None of us really listen very well. And the closer we are to someone, the worse it gets. Because we interpret, we translate, we're preparing our next statement, right? That's, what, that's kind of the way we roll. 
But what John's talking about is we got to take in what we hear. He, he puts this word, this Greek word here is more about obedience. Hear it and obey it. The command were, listen, we're those listening to the reading, and we do that every week in here. We read it. We ask you to read your Bibles. We, we, we give you different readings and opportunities to do that. And then you come here and you listen to the Word. So we've got two of those under our belt. So we read it and we listen to it. And then the third point is taking Scripture to heart or heed the Scripture. Heed it, as he says, and that's keeping it and applying it. Heed the things that are in it, that is being obedient, doing what it says. And this is something that we all need because we run into those situations every single day, every hour that we need the scripture in our heart to be able to overcome or deal with life. One of my biggest problems is frustration. That's my sin. I get frustrated with stupid people, all right? I also have a judgmentalism problem, okay, if you didn't catch that, because some people I just refer to as, as stupid. It's not very kind. And, um, but an example of that, just last Sunday, and, and Brandon stole my illustration. He shared it in the third service last Sunday night because it happened during the first two services. I was out, you know, doing my service and uh, directing traffic. Some of you may recognize me as traffic director. And um, so I was doing my thing, and one of our uh, PD officers, Travis Cruin, who's helping us with that, doing a phenomenal job of scheduling guys to help. He's out there. I'm out there with him because he's the officer. So I'm standing to the side and, uh, and trying to get people in and out. And I don't know what happens when church is over, but it's like while we're in here, Satan goes into your cars. And when you get in there, he's like in there with you. And you lose your flipping mind when you try to get out of a parking lot. I've never seen anything like it. Um, but I've never wanted to use cuss words after church as if, but come direct traffic with me, you'll totally understand. So, so I'm directing out on Kiwana and, and all the traffic starting to back up coming to this service on, you know, on that road on Kiwana. And I look back behind Travis looking this way and there's this car bouncing down the shoulder in people's yards coming around our traffic. There's not a go-around lane there, okay? There's grass and irrigation and kids over on that side. And, and I'm looking, I'm like, oh, Lord have mercy, she, here she comes. And I see the window going down. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. So I do what I should do, and I'm like, well, she's coming. I'm directing her on by. She gets right by me, and she goes, I'm trying to get to my church too. Now, a lot of things went through my mind. <laughs> you know, I was close enough, I was literally close enough to snatch her out of the window. That's what I wanted to do. But I said, praise the Lord, and I just waved her on by. You know, and the rest of that sentence, praise the Lord because you need it, is what I was thinking. But, and I, oh, I hope she's not here today. But anyway, um, she seemed to be going on past and, and very bitter about us being here. But um, she probably won't go that way again. So, but what I'm saying and the point of this is that we heed to the scripture. When we read it and we hear it, we have to apply it. And I have to apply in my own life the scripture that's in my heart. Because I've read it, I've heard it, I've got to apply it. And some of those times are so frustrating. And some of those times in your life are, are so 
overwhelming when you get that bad news from the doctor. When you've lived through that divorce, when you, when you go through things day by day by day, you're thinking, oh my gosh, can I really do this? And that's when we're commanded to get back in the word, read it, listen to it, and apply it because God is faithful. God is so faithful if we do those things. It's not a three-step process, but it is this, this culmination of these three things. If we read it and we listen to it and we do what it says, it is amazing what God will do in our lives. And I ask you that question today. When it comes to reading the scripture, listening to the scripture, and applying it and doing what it says, how are you? Where are you in that process? Are you just reading it? Are you sometimes throwing in a podcast and listening to it? Because if we're doing just one or the other, we're probably not doing very well on number three and applying it. But this morning when we had our prayer time, our prayer team is amazing. And they uh, pray for me. And it doesn't matter. Whenever I preach, if, if, when they pray, I always, my conclusion of my sermon always comes from that. I never write one out because of the power that goes on in there. And God just always speaks a word. And I want to be obedient to that. And, and the two words that came to mind in that time this morning was just very simple, Christ victorious. Christ victorious. And it just kept echoing in my mind, Christ victorious, Christ victorious. If we read it and we listen to it and we do what it says, Christ is always victorious. Christ is always victorious when we do those things, which in turn, for those who know, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and he lives as Lord of our lives, then we are also victorious. And that's such an awesome thing to think of. And this is not um, a sermon that says if you do these things, everything's going to be okay. Because Christ victorious is not always the victory we want. That's what stinks about life. Christ victorious is that Christ is going to get what belongs to him. God is a selfish God, and he's going to be victorious on this earth once again. When he comes back and he busts the gates of hell wide open, he is going to be victorious. But he can be victorious in your life each and every day. If you read it and you listen to it and you apply it, he can be victorious. He can be victorious over that divorce. He can be victorious over your depression. He can be victorious over anything that comes your way. He can be victorious over the infidelity. He can be victorious over the cancer. God will be victorious if we are faithful to what he has shown us to be faithful for. That is an awesome promise. It's a promise that I want to challenge you with today and ask you that question again. Where are you? Where are you when it comes to those three things? Maybe you have no idea who Christ is. And it's no accident that you're sitting out here today. Maybe today is the day you say, you know what? I want to begin this relationship with him because I want to find victory. I want to find victory in my life because my life sucks. It's, it's terrible. It's falling apart at the seams. I've tried everything that I can try, and it just ain't happening. I said ain't. And sucks. Thank you. <laughs> but that's what God wants for us. God wants to work in our lives and change us right where we are. And maybe that's you today. You're sitting right here now. Your heart's beating a thousand miles an hour and you're like, ah, I need to do this. I need to begin that relationship with Christ. 
I need to begin it right here. And if this is your first Sunday here, awesome. If it's your second Sunday here, you know how we do this. Because Christ said, if you confess me before men, then I will confess you before my Father in heaven. We celebrate it. We love when people get saved because we want to know you. We want to walk with you. We want something for you, not something from you. And we really mean that. So right here today, if that's on your heart, you know God's speaking to you right where you are. We just ask you to stand where you are. If you want to accept Christ, we would love to pray with you. Just ask you to stand up right where you are. We'd love to celebrate with you. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? He broke the ice. Guts. Thank you for trusting, bud. Anybody else? Anybody else? Awesome. The rest of us in here and now this fella, we're all believers. That's who John's writing to. He's writing to the Christians of that day. He's challenging them. He's revealing who Christ is and who Christ is yet to come. So I want to challenge you. Maybe you need prayer for something today. Our prayer team is here chomping at the bit to pray with you. Would love to pray with you. We're going to sing a final song. We're going to sing the song we sang a while ago to close the service today. And maybe while we're singing, you feel like, I need some prayer. Or you just want to come up here to this altar. We'd love to have you come up here and just pray. If you need somebody, we'll have somebody down here uh, to come pray with you. So right now, stand where you are. We're going to sing this song, continue to celebrate and worship, and then we'll be dismissed.